A reading from 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for this season in which we await your coming. We thank you, Father, for your son's first coming, and we look forward, Father, to his second coming. May we, Father, as we wait with great expectancy, live lives of love, faith, and hope. And we pray this, Father, for our sakes and in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. I am David Humphrey, and I bring greetings to you from St. Matthew's Anglican Church in Northeast Portland. And I am here because Father Stephen is not feeling well today. So we pray for him, pray for a swift recovery. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to be with you once again. The last time I was here, I think it was the hottest day of the year. And it was very bright. So this is such a contrast, and it's really, really great to be with fellow Anglicans tonight. I wanted to talk, if I could, uh, from the passage that was read to us a few minutes ago, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, I was brought up in the church. I went to Sunday school nearly every Sunday of my life. And I knew well the story of Jesus' birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. I'm not sure it ever occurred to me to wonder what happened next and how he got from here back up to heaven, what we call the ascension. I, I don't remember hearing about that, but I, perhaps it was taught and I wasn't paying attention. But what I'm certain that I had never heard of in my life was that Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. I am sure I would have remembered that if that had ever been said to me. So it was when I was 15 years old and became a Christian and I heard that Jesus will 
return, the second coming of Christ. And that correctly changes everything because all of us live in the light of our knowledge of the future. And if we have the certain hope, which means a, an assured conviction that Jesus will return, well, that changes everything. If I know he's coming again, that affects my life from now until then. Well, in this short letter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to these Christians, and they are new in the faith. It's a, it's a small church, a new church. He and, uh, that is the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas, they planted that church because they went there as missionaries, preached the gospel, some believed, and there is the new church. But the opposition was so great that Paul and his two colleagues were forced out of Thessalonica before they were ready to go. And then Paul spent many sleepless nights worrying about these new believers. He left them sooner than he would have liked. He, he worried about them. And so he finally was able to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. And when Timothy returned to the Apostle Paul, Paul was all ears. He was very eager to hear how they were doing. And he was greatly relieved to hear how steadfast they remained in the faith. But the, Timothy apparently brought back a letter from them with a few questions because they still had questions about things and Paul was eager to teach them more. And when we get to chapter 5, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. So they apparently had asked Paul more about um, Jesus's coming again. And tell us more about the times and the seasons, which is a, which is a vague expression meaning some event in the future, and we're not quite sure when it's going to take place. You can almost imagine the Christian saying, now tell us more about this. When, when is he coming back? Well, Paul said, you don't need me to tell you anything more than I have already done. Paul was confident that he had taught them uh, everything, there is to need, everything there is for them to know about Jesus' return, but that does not include the time or date. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know he is. The certainty that he will return again, but we don't know the time. Paul says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. One of the most remarkable things, I think, that Jesus ever said about himself is when he compared himself to a burglar. I mean, who would do that? Especially Jesus. It's, if we weren't so familiar with that, we would be startled by it. Jesus said, well, actually, I'm going to be a bit like a burglar, like a thief in the night. Now, if any of you have had the unpleasant experience of having been robbed, you have a good sense of what Jesus is saying. There are two elements to it, I think. Either if you're at home and you're suddenly face to face with a burglar or more likely you return home and discover that you have been robbed. Terrible experience. 
two characteristics of it. Surprise. Well, I didn't expect that. And a negative response. Ugh, that's awful. So it's unexpected and it's very unpleasant. Why in the world then would Jesus compare his return to that of a burglar? Well, first of all, it's going to come as a surprise to everyone. Not that it's going to happen, but when it happens, will surprise everyone, even us. And for those who are unprepared to meet Jesus because they're living lives unreconciled to God, they haven't come uh, to faith in Christ and received uh, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, they're bearing their own sins, that's going to be extremely unpleasant. The day of the Lord is not going to be good for those who know not Christ. And so in that way, his coming to them is like <clears throat> a thief in the night. Paul says that while people are saying there is peace and security, which is a pleasant message to hear. It would be nice to live in a time and a place of peace and security. That sounds great. Unless there's something you need to do, peace and security, this is um, a way of saying, <clears throat> don't worry. Everything is going to be fine. That's not the gospel, and that's not a message for someone who has not become reconciled to God through faith in Christ. Paul says, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. At that point, it's too late to turn to Christ. So that's why it's a terrible event for those who are unprepared. Now Paul compares it to labor pains. Again, perhaps a surprising illustration. But for any of you who have given birth or men have been close to someone who has, you can see the value of this illustration. It has two characteristics. One is pain, and the other is surprise. The first labor pains come as a surprise, and they are not pleasant. But the third way, this is a good illustration, is that when a woman becomes pregnant, which is overall, of course, a wonderful, wonderful event, it also comes with the certain knowledge that labor pains <laughs> are on their way even if they are weeks or months away, they are coming. And so, if a pregnant woman is feeling well and good and thinking, this is great, I don't know why people have complained about this, I feel great, the labor pains have not begun. But when they do come, it will be a surprise, it will be painful, but she also should have seen it coming. And that is the same with the second coming of Christ. He's going to come again. We've been warned if we're unreconciled to God, and we've been promised if we have. But his coming will have two consequences, bad for some, very good for others. 
So among those unprepared, Paul says, they will certainly not escape God's judgment. But in contrast to them, writing to Christians, he says, but you, and he emphasizes the word you, but you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. See, we're different because we know Jesus is coming. And so his coming will not surprise us like a thief. I think it will surprise us when it first happens. We're going to be as taken aback as, as anyone, but only for a moment. Then in the next moment, our look of shock on our face will turn to a broad smile as we realize what's happening. The Lord has returned. So we then will not be surprised as we might be by a thief. For Paul says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. And he has two more words in that list, in, in addition to light and day. Then he speaks of being awake and being sober. Four positive words and then four negative ones. In contrast, he says, we are not of the night or of the darkness. We are not those who are asleep or those who are drunk. So he has four characteristics, good and bad, four good ones to describe how Christians live in the, in the certain knowledge that Jesus is going to return and how others are completely oblivious to this great event which is certain to happen one day. And because we are not of the night or of the darkness, he says, let us not sleep as others do. And by that he means to be unaware of and unworried about what is about to happen. It says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. The illustration being someone who is drunk um, has lost their sense of judgment. And they can be a danger to themselves and to others. Perhaps you've had the experience of driving at night and you see somebody stumbling along the road and they appear to be intoxicated and you think, oh, I hope they're gonna be okay. They could easily stumble into the road. They could easily be hurt because they're not in their right mind. That's why Paul uses this as an illustration of those who are living blithely, unaware that the Lord could return at any time. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on, and now he's quoting um, the prophet Isaiah, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so in this sentence, you will have noticed the three Christian virtues that Paul often mentions, faith, hope, and love. These are the virtues or the characteristics of someone who is living by faith in Christ. This is um, what should be uh, illustrated and expressed in our lives by the way we live. We are to be people of faith in Christ, people who have love for him and for others and those who have the hope of salvation. And again, hope in the Bible means an assured conviction, a certainty. And the reason we can live this way, Paul says, is for God has not destined us for wrath. 
That's not what he's appointed us to, not wrath, though we deserve it because of our sin, but God has destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that last phrase is all important. We have salvation, and it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else but him. And what does Paul say about Christ? Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And by that, Paul means whether we are still alive when Jesus returns or if we have known and loved and followed him in life, but then we have died, we're not going to miss out. When he comes, though we are asleep in him, we will live with him. So we notice this lovely phrase, Christ who died for us that we might live with him. Jesus died for our sins, enabling us to live with him forever. That's very encouraging, isn't it? That's why Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. These young Christians were facing intense persecution. We can hardly imagine what it would be like to seek to follow Christ and have everyone turn against you. But that's what they were experiencing. But Paul says, your knowledge that Jesus is going to return one day is a very encouraging one. Take this good news and encourage one another with it. Just as, he says, you are doing. Paul's pleased with them. They know Jesus is going to return. They're encouraging one another with that news. He wants them just to do it all the more. We're in this season called Advent. Advent means coming. And so before the festivities of celebrating Jesus' birth, we spend four weeks contemplating his return because Christians are those who live backwards. <laughs> in the light of the future event, Jesus' return, we live lives of faith, hope, and love today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son came and died for us that we might live with him. And we thank you, Father, that he is going to come again and rescue us, redeem us, and take us to be with you. Help us, Father, before that happens, before that great day of the Lord, to live faithfully for him now. That when he does return, he'll find us faithful. And we pray this, Father, in his name.